All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School, Lesson 15, Isaiah 32 and 33. Kevin, uh, Rich, and Tom, if you guys were to describe this week in Isaiah, I mean, here we are on our seventh les- lesson this week. I, what do you think the Lord's saying to you in all this? There, there's just been a lot. Uh, I think pay attention, uh, let him be in control. Otherwise, there's consequences. Even though there's hope, there's consequences for if you don't pay attention. It's good. Rich, what do you got, you think? I'm not schizophrenic. Like the Lord's not schizophrenic. I mean, if you think about it, you, you know, one minute you're like, he's cursing these people, and the next minute, oh, but don't worry about it, there's a blessing. You know, and it's like this roller coaster of up and down. Yeah, I'm going to put the kibosh on you, but don't worry about it, it's going to be okay in the end. Don't run down there, but, you know, just listen to my voice because I'm going to be walking behind you telling you where to go. And I think the moral of the story is, just do what the Lord asks of you and be obedient. That's going to be all right. It's good. Tom, what do you got when you think about why we've been studying Isaiah this week? Uh, one, go back and reread it because it's so interesting on how you can find things uh, written in here that's from Kings and Chronicles, but yet I know from uh, references you've made and then from writing up all the citations how many references to Revelation there are. And so you can go and look at the history, but you're also then looking at what's to come. It's unbelievable how how much through one man, Isaiah, deposited the most unbelievable picture to the very, very end. And I think you're right. you got to just slow down and process this. And I've heard a couple people in Revive School, when I go back to Indiana, just say, you know, I've just, I've never studied the word like this before. I've just never gone so in depth. And then when you go in depth, it's just like the light bulb comes off and he just begins to, to tie this together, which is really what we're after, you guys. You know, the, the complete picture uh, of, of the scriptures is that we want to paint a portrait of the Messiah in every book of the Bible. 66 books. And I know I've said this over and over and over again. But, you know, think about the book of Isaiah. You have 66 chapters. So it's like a mini reflection, in my opinion, of all 66 books of the Bible. So here you have the first 39 chapters that really deal with judgment. They really deal with this issue of uh, warning throughout the scripture. And then you have the last 27 chapters uh, in Isaiah that reflect 27 books of the Bible in the New Testament that talk about all about comfort and redemption. And so to me, it's like when you read Isaiah, it's just this, again, it's just like, okay, if I read just Isaiah, would I get the complete picture of the gospel? And I would say, absolutely, yes. We haven't even got you guys into the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 yet. We're just turning the corner. But yet right now in this period that we're in, Isaiah 28 through 33, we're in this period of these oracles, these judgments, these woes, right, against at least three different groups, Samaria, then you have Jerusalem and Assyria. 
Three different types, three different groups of people that you're going to see in these different chapters. And look, every time I keep thinking about Isaiah 30, the moral of the story is if you just waited and trust on the, in, in the Lord and not in man and not in flesh and not in other nations, you'd actually be okay. Unfortunately, that's not what we always see every time. And so <laughs> you see six different woes. Kevin, I'm going to put your fingers to the test here. Isaiah 28 verse 1 would be one of the first woes. Okay, there's six of them that we would categorize. Woe to the majestic crown of Ephraim's drunkard. So that would be one of uh, the woes to Ephraim, the northern kingdom, right? Then you have in Isaiah 29, verse 1. Again, I'm sure you can find others as well, but woe to Ariel, Ariel, the city where David camped. So Kevin, here you have Jerusalem. Hey, here is the woe to these folks in regards to, remember, Isaiah 28 through 33. That's what I'm referencing when we say this. Then you go to Isaiah 29, verse 15. Isaiah 29, 15 has the same language. Woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. And so it's almost like, hey, if I do these things, so they do their works in darkness and say, who sees us? Who knows us? Uh, God knows everything. Then you get into the fourth woe, which is Isaiah 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children. When you look in uh, 30 verse 1, Kevin, we're talking about those very simply that, that want to align themselves with the Egyptians, right? This is what we're talking about. Then you get into Isaiah 31 verse 1, another woe. Again, just the pattern of all of these different things that people are functioning in rebellion. It says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and who depend on horses. Again, the same mentality about not looking to the Holy One of Israel, not seeking the Lord's help, but trusting in themselves. And then finally today, we get into what I would say in this period of Isaiah 28 through uh, 33, we get into the sixth woe. Let me read the first verse uh, and then I will... um, Actually, before I do, Kevin, before I get to the sixth verse, let me just jump in here real quick with Isaiah 32. Okay, we've kind of gone through all of this. Isaiah 32 really generally talks about kind of an interesting picture that I think is, is pretty cool. Wearsby just basically breaks that up into two, two, two sections. Prophecy about leadership and then the leadership's effects. Okay, so in other words, you have generous leaders uh, and then you have uh, leaders that aren't so good. Generous leaders are going to produce abundance and prosperity. Uh, and then you have the, the bad leaders that are going to produce false security and desolation. Okay, that's that's pretty much it. I will say this in verse one of 32, Isaiah 32, it does talk about the king It says, indeed, a king will reign righteously and rules. Rulers will rule justly. You could literally camp out here and say how this points to the Messiah, how this points to the king. And then you can run with that to Isaiah 7, 14 and Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, and Isaiah 28. You can run with this even in the John 10, how this points to king being Jesus. Uh, my point is this, is that in Isaiah 32, you have that language of leadership, good and bad. The good does prosperity, brings abundance. The bad then brings about false security and desolation. That's kind of the uh, the Cliff Notes version in less than a minute of Isaiah 32. Now let's jump into, if we can, Isaiah 33, where I want to talk to you about Jerusalem really being delivered down the road. In Isaiah 33, verse 1, it specifically talks about one person. Woe you, destroyer, never destroyed. You traitor, never betrayed. When you have finished destroying, you will be destroyed. When you have finished betraying, they will betray you. Many people would say, and I'd have to agree, this is directed towards the Assyrians. This is directed towards King Sennacherib, okay, uh, of Assyria, because of his treachery on how he treated Judah. 
So as this unfolds, this is what gets weird. And we talked about this is that here you have King Hezekiah, right? King Hezekiah decides to try to buy off the Assyrians. Kevin, what does he do? He puts money on the animals. He ships them off, right? Because he's going to try to get some funding. He thinks, hey, this is going to work. Uh, unfortunately, because of Hezekiah's unbelief, that's what he thought. But Sennacherib turns around and what does he do? He ends up breaking the agreement. And so Sennacherib and the Assyrians, they ended up invading Judah anyway. So when you see this language of you destroy or never destroyed, you trade or never betrayed, uh, this is the language that we're talking about. You fin- when you're done finishing destroying, if you go to the language, Kevin, of kings and prophets, <coughs> when you're done taking care of all this, you'll be destroyed. When you're finished betraying, they will betray you. So what does this look like? If you go to 2 Kings 18, Kevin, for me. 2 Kings 18, 13 and on, you have this interaction with Sennacherib. Okay? 2 Kings 18, it says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah. Okay, Sennacherib, so remember, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, right here, Isaiah speaking into this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah, and he captured them. Verse 14, So Hezekiah, king of Judah, he sent word to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I've done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you demand from me, I will pay. The king of Assyria demanded 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold from king Hezekiah of Judah. You have to wonder, how did... How did he, how did he come up with all that? Like, how did he come up with that term? Oh, okay, you guys are worth this. I mean, it's a full on negotiation. And then in verse 15, he says this. So Hezekiah, what does he do? He gave him all the silver found in the Lord's temple and in the treasuries of the king's palace. <laughs> uh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, Hezekiah even goes so far in, in verse 16 of 2 Kings 18. He stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's sanctuary and from the doorposts he had overlaid and he gave it to the king of Assyria. So king of Assyria, Sennacherib. He's a thief. He's a traitor. He is a tyrant. And Isaiah says, hey, look, God is going to judge you and the Assyrians. He's going to, even though you try to destroy us, uh, eventually you will be destroyed. You try to deal with us treacherously. Guess what? With nations, you will be dealt treacherously. God is not meant to be mocked. And I think it's interesting. Warren Wiersbe says, sinners will reap what they have sown. So what you see, Kevin, in Isaiah 33, verse 1, is a prophetic word of even though the Assyrians took care of a whole lot of people, it's coming back on your head. Hence, you have the judgment, again, from the Sumerians, those on Jerusalem, and now those in Assyria. That's what we're looking at. And according to the word of Isaiah Uh, you will be destroyed. And so what does Isaiah say? He prophesies. Nelson's commentary kind of puts this in a very simplistic way. He prophesies the destruction of the destroyer. Verse 2. Lord, be gracious to us. So now here you have that remnant. That's who's talking right now. Us. This is not just Isaiah. Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Well, praise God. Maybe, Kevin, they're getting it. (laughs) We wait for you. Be our strength every morning and our salvation in time of trouble. The peoples flee at the thunderous noise. The nations scatter when you rise in your majesty and your spoil will be gathered as locusts are gathered 
People will swarm over it like an infestation infestation of locusts. Man, so it's kind of cool. First of all, you see prophecies uh, prophesize the destruction of the destroyer. And then here you have, uh, basically you have the remnant's prayer. Lord, be gracious to us. We are the besieged remnant. We've waited for the Lord in prayer. And we have, and I love this image, we've got confident expectation. Like we actually believe this is going to take place. And so here you have the people's flee, right? I think this is kind of a cool picture. <coughs> Excuse me. Where the people's flee at the thunderous noise. The nations scatter when you rise. In other words, God, when you step up, Kevin, what happens? They're gone. They're gone. Your spoil, your plunder from God's war belongs to the Lord. He truly is the victor. And, and it's kind of a cool picture. Uh, your spoil will be gathered, it says, as locusts are gathered. <laughs> In other words, the Lord's judgment can come quickly without warning. And what does he do? He gathers them all together. It's a cool picture here. And it's a pretty powerful picture of what God can do instantly. Scripture continues on in verse 5. The Lord is exalted. Praise the Lord. For he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. In other words, true justice. There will be times of security for you. A storehouse of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And so what you begin to see in verses 5 through 6 is the transformation of Zion. But Kevin, you know, here we go again, right? In good old Isaiah terms. When is this? Current? Yes. Uh, future? Yes. There will be times of security uh, for you. You're going to experience wisdom, knowledge, and salvation. I mean, all of these are characteristics truly of, of Zion and of our Messiah. And yet at the same time, I think it's a fair statement. Once they come out of captivity and they come to Jerusalem, this stuff can happen. But man, there's so much more at the end. The transformation of Zion begins to unfold. And then here you have in 7 through 9, he says this. Listen, their warriors cry loudly in the streets. The messengers of peace, they, they weep bitterly. The highways are deserted. Travel has ceased. An agreement has been broken and cities despised and human life disregarded. The land mourns and withers. Lebanon is ashamed and decayed. Sharon is like a desert. Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. What you see here is, as it continues to unfold in verses 7 through 9, <laughs> I think it's interesting. Before I write this down, it says they're warriors. They're the valiant ones. It's almost like there's a, sar a sarcasm, right? Because here you have their warriors are crying out loudly in the streets. Kevin, when's the last time you've heard some really tough warriors crying out loud? They don't usually cry unless it's a battle cry. No, and then here you have the ambassadors, the messengers, Judah's ambassadors. They're weeping bitterly. Why? Because Assyria had taken their gifts and continued to besiege Jerusalem. So, like, it's all... Here's what's weird. You see the transformation of Zion, but yet at the same time, it sure looks like Judah has a need for salvation, and they're not responding to this. It looks like in this glimpse of seven through nine, correct, that there's no hope. 
The highways are deserted. The treaty between Assyria and Judah is broken. The highways are not safe. And then here you have the land mourns and withers. So there, what I like about this is, is that there's a need. And then God shows you, shows his response. Does that make sense? Here's the need. And then here's his response in verse 10. Now I will rise up. So I guess you could do this verse 10 and then you could do verses seven through nine. It says in verse 10, now I will rise up, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. Kevin, if you were to do a a study, a word study on verse 10, is there any words that stand out to you right there? Up. (laughs) That's so awesome. Now I will. Thanks, Rich. The one that's repeated, now I will or now. Kevin, have you seen that movie? Have you seen that movie lately, Kevin? Up. Up. Isn't there a bird, Kevin, in there? It's a good reference, Kevin. Look, when is God going to respond? Now. Up. Up. (laughs) I don't know. The word thus sure stands out to me right now. Uh, Look, now I will rise up. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. Like the Lord says to his people, look, now, 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 I'm about to assert my authority. Kevin, up. Exalted. He's going to be exalted. And I, I don't know, I just, whenever you see a word, and there's really, it's a phrase, now I will, now I will, now I will, now, 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 yes. And what is he going to do? In verse 11, he says, you will conceive chaff, you will give birth to stubble, your breath is fire that will consume you. And then he says, the peoples will be burned to ashes like thorns cut down and burned in a fire. In other words, what you're going to begin to see here uh, is that, going to destroy Assyria. It's done. I'm going to give you the prophecy that it's going to take place. The remnant praise. Transformation of Zion is going to take place. Here's the need. God, we really need you to show up. He says, okay, now, now, now I'm going to go up. I'm going to do this. Just have to throw that in there, Kevin. It's so fun. And as he goes up, he's going to destroy Assyria. Like it is assured. Assyria. When it says you, just so you know, he's talking to Assyria. Assyria, you conceive chaff. You give birth to stubble. Your breath is fire that will consume you. It's going to come quickly. And oh, by the way, you're done. Just like that. Just like that. You who are far off, hear what I've done. You who are near, know my strength. In other words, in verse 13, he says, you guys better acknowledge who I am. You better recognize I am showing up in a big and ridiculous way. So then he says in verse 14, this is kind of the impact that it's had. Now that he's bringing in destruction to Assyria, here's the impact. He says, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling seizes the ungodly. And who among us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with ever burning flames? In other words, like we recognize that God, you are a consuming fire. God, we recognize like you are in charge. There's nothing we can do. And he says in verse 15, the one who lives righteously. So who can dwell among them? Who can handle this being in the presence of God? He says, the one who lives righteously and speaks rightly. Who refuses gain from extortion. Whose hand never takes a bribe. Who stops his ears from listening to murderous plots and shuts his eyes to avoid endorsing evil. In other words... (laughs) This is what he longs for. He longs for his people to live righteously. 
It doesn't mean that you become sheltered and you hang out in your house. He's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, look, in the process of hanging out with these people, you must live righteously. Over and over again, that allows us to approach the Holy One. Let me make it super practical. If you come before the Lord in a prayer time in your prayer closet, it's really hard to talk to the Lord when you are sinning in an area of your life. Some of you could be just simply shortchanging the government with money. Some of you could have a major issue with alcoholism and you're not even sharing this with anybody. Some of you might be having an affair and nobody knows. Some of you might be uh, constantly having an addiction of some form of pornography or lust. And then, and then yet you expect to come to the Lord in prayer and ask him to show up. And he just says, you need to come to me righteously. You need to speak rightly. Uh, and, and so I think this is just kind of the mentality. This allows us to approach the Holy One on our knees, in humility, talking to the Lord. Verse 16, it says, He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the rocky fortresses. His food provided, his water assured. <laughs> um. Uh, eventually, just so you know, you're going to go to be with the Lord. Dwelling on the heights refers to God's dwelling. Okay, so you can be with God's in God's dwelling, and I just think you're going to be with Him, and everywhere you go, He's going to provide. We don't have to worry about these things. It goes back to almost the Matthew five mentality: if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Sometimes I think, though, we keep trying to take matters into our own hands. <laughs> If you go to verse 17, I love this picture. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. You will see a vast land. <laughs> uh, Kevin, when you see this, what do you first think of? I just seeing as far as you can see. I mean, I think of flatlands. Like, I remember driving up into Canada and just how far you could see the vast land. And I think that's only a piece of, of what you're going to see, be able to see. I think it's going to be forever. I think it has this picture of when you're in the presence of the Lord, here and now and in the end, God will always take care of you. When, you're, when you, you will be able to truly see the King of Kings. You'll be able to see who He really is. And as a result, you'll see a vast land full of abundance full of his provision, full of him watching out where you don't have to, you guys. Uh, like you don't have to depend upon yourself anymore. Verse 18, it says, Your mind will meditate on the past terror. Where's the accountant? Where's the tribute collector? Where's the one who spied out our defenses? You will no longer see the barbarians, a people whose speech is difficult to comprehend, who stammer in a language that is not understood. Look at Zion, the city of our festival times. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful pasture. A tent that does not wander, its tent pegs will not be pulled up, nor will any of its cords be loosened. In other words, the feasts are going to be celebrated, celebrated, excuse me, from the heart and not, not because of, uh, you have to perform them. The tent pegs aren't going to be pulled up. In other words, here's the best part of this whole thing, in my opinion, is that the exile is done. You don't have to wander anymore. Salvation truly comes, uh, before their eyes. He says in verse 21, now, now this is really interesting. For the majestic one, our Lord, will be there. So, Kevin, we've been talking about Jerusalem, right? We've been talking about Zion, right? Yeah. 
a place of rivers and broad streams where ships that are rowed will not go and majestic vessels will not pass. Um, wait, what? Do you see this? There will be a place of rivers and a place of streams, Kevin. Kevin, if you go to Jerusalem right now, there's no rivers. But man, it sure ties in in a most incredible picture. When the end is here, you guys, when the end is in front of us, uh, it's a picture of Ezekiel 47. It symbolizes the peace that the Lord has given his people. And here you have this river. Remember, he's in this the river. It goes from his feet. It goes to his knees. It goes up to his waist. You remember this? And it just keeps going higher and higher. And, it, and it's flowing from the temple. You have to wonder somehow if if Ezekiel and yes, even Isaiah, somehow it's tying into this. Ezekiel 47, 3, as a man went out east with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile and he led me through the water. It came up to my knees. He measured off another third of a mile and he led me through the water. It came up to my waist. And then again, he measured up off a third of a mile and it was a river that I could not cross on foot for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be crossed on foot. And Kevin, if you go back to Ezekiel 47, the very beginning, one and two, where does it say it flows from, Kevin? The water is coming down from the under the south side of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Look, I I don't know how all this works. I do know that Isaiah prophesies that there will be rivers, that there will be streams. And I do know that Ezekiel clearly says, hey, by the way, from the temple, you will see a river that's flowing more than we could ever imagine. That, my friends, is a pretty awesome picture. (laughs) And Judah would be protected figuratively, right? That's what he's saying, by these rivers. (laughs) No ships are going to come in anymore. No no place of intimidation. No no enemies, no nations are going to be attacking. And then look what he says in verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Your ropes are slack. They cannot hold the base of the master, spread out the flag. Then abundant spoil will be divided. The lame will plunder it. Jerusalem will almost sink, but not to the point where they will. And then here it is in verse 24. None of them will say I'm sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. Okay, this, my friends, is a lot. When you look at Isaiah 32 and 33, here's what I want to do. Warren Wiersbe does something from 17 to 24. Basically what we just read, okay, because remember the original word was is that Assyria is going down. <laughs> King Sennacherib is going to be taken down. Really, really what you're seeing is that this victory over Assyria was a dress rehearsal. Okay, if you want to look at it that way, for his victory eventually over the whole Gentile world system that will one day assemble to destroy the holy city. So here you have this same picture, Kevin. It goes back to, you know this language, Kevin, current. <laughs> and then, yes, Yes, this is going to happen with King Sennacherib. And then you have the return of Christ, or the coming, I should say. Well, we'll just say the coming Messiah. Okay, the first time. And then you have the return of Christ the second time. And I guess for me, uh, yes, we just saw this language of the Assyrians are going to be wiped out somewhere in there. But man, what an incredible picture After all this fighting, instantly it's going to happen, by the way. And then instantly, what is going to happen, Kevin? We might see rivers flowing around Jerusalem, which we've never seen before. And you're going to see peace. You're going to see salvation experience. And you're going to see unity in Jerusalem like we've never seen because of the king. 
And I feel like I'm supposed to go to Isaiah 32, verse 1. Isaiah 32, verse 1. Because of the king will reign righteously. It's just a unique picture, you guys, of all that's taking place in the book of Isaiah. All right, uh, we are unpacking the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Lamentations. But I think, I think it's fair to say now, uh, we've, we've started to cross over just a little bit, Kevin. We, we've dabbled a little bit in Ezekiel with this. We've dabbled a little bit with Jeremiah in this. And again, that's the point. The point is, is to take every book of the Bible and to see how does the Messiah, where is the Messiah in all of this, and then how they all fit together. Do you want to know what the real key is in all of this? Uh, Emmanuel. God is with us in human flesh. He comes the first time, and guess what? He's coming again. All right, guys, have a great day, and we will look to continue with Lesson 16 tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.